Hello and welcome to Just Another Gala. And you're listening to episode 18 of your Ottawa Theatre Weekly Podcast. I'm Jessica Ruano. And I'm not Kat Fournier. The Ottawa Fringe Festival closed and many of us are suffering from fringe withdrawal. Luckily, we have fringer extraordinaire Nancy Kenny joining us today to talk about her experience at the festival this year and to give us a sneak peek at what we can expect from her documentary titled On the Fringe. We've got news, reviews, and previews, so keep listening. TWA, aka Third Wall Academy, is a joint project between Third Wall Theatre and 100 Watt Productions. Each year, they build an ensemble of young artists between 15 and 19 who train and perform in professional theatre settings throughout the year. Just having finished its fourth year with Fuji at the Ottawa Fringe Festival, TWA are now holding auditions from July 23rd to 26th for next season's ensemble. Selections to TWA is by short audition and interview. Contact Christina Watt and James Richardson for more details. Uh, Their email addresses will be included in the body of uh, our podcast. And uh, that's it for news for the moment, because we have a lot to go over for uh, what happened at the Fringe Festival this week, so stay tuned. Last night was the last night of the Fringe Festival, and it was our 20th year, so a big achievement and celebration in the Ottawa community. Uh, the awards were announced last night for uh, some of the best shows of this year's festival. You can visit ottawafringe.com uh, for, for full details on that. Um, as I also mentioned, we have Nancy Kenny joining us today. Uh, Nancy has um, written, produced, uh, performed in multiple fringe shows over the years. Um, she's perhaps best known for her work, uh, Roller Derby Save My Soul, which has been touring across Canada and to the United States in the last few years. And she came to us this year with a new show called Everybody Dies in December, which we talked about on our previous episode. Um, so I wanted to bring Nancy onto the show for several reasons, uh, one of which is that she had some cool observations about uh, the Ottawa Fringe and some, some, some trends that have happened uh, this past uh, this past week and a half. So thank you for being here, Nancy. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So what was your experience at the Ottawa Fringe this year in general? Oh, well, it was, it was really interesting. It was a great experience for me because I haven't done this fringe in a couple of years now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been doing a lot of fringes across the country, so it's always really nice to come home because Ottawa really is one of my favorite fringes on the circuit. And I'm not just saying that because I live here. What do you think uh, makes Ottawa different than other fringes? Uh, everything is close together, first of all, which I think is fantastic. There's a lot of fringes that are very spread out, which kind of removes a bit of that community feel that you find at Fringe. And uh, and that's that's the thing I love the most is the community feel. I feel like you actually have a chance to get to know people, to talk, to meet audience members, get feedback. Um, the other thing I really liked this year was, uh, I wasn't as familiar with them, but the new Ottawa critics were great. I thought the reviews they wrote were some of the most critical and eye-opening and 
just showed a real love for the art form, which I find sometimes is lacking in, in theater reviews. Absolutely. And, you know, one of one of the critics that we refer to a lot in our podcast is Bria Farlin, who is, you know, uh, becoming a staple in the theater community with her really thorough, in-depth reviews. And I also love that when festivals happen, like Undercurrents and the Fringe Festival, she brings people who actually aren't Ottawa-based anymore. She brings them up into town and has them review other shows as well. So I think it's kind of wonderful that she has this community of people who share her values about, you know, giving theater its credit and like really making an effort to understand what the artists are trying to do. Yeah, and it's great since we don't have any, um, I want to say mainstream media uh, theater criticism anymore. Online is really where you got to go now. And it's, it's great. I mean, there's other places that are there as well, like apartment 613 and, and the Capitol critics, but I just, I find there's really some eye opening criticism to be happen to happen on, on that site. Absolutely. Totally agree. So two thumbs up. And I'm not just saying that because I got a really great review. (laughs) Um, So let's talk about some of the shows that took place this year. Um, Did you notice any sort of um, interesting themes or trends? Well, the biggest thing I noticed uh, earlier during the Fringe was uh, I do a solo show. So I'm a solo female performer. I identify as female. And there's when I checked, there were 11 solo female performers uh, shows happening and two duos if you want to to throw those two in as well so that's kind of incredible especially fringe is a lottery system but often it's it's very much dominated by the male solo performer that's true I think a lot of the people who come back year after year they're solo men either storytelling or doing a monologue or some kind of solo show um, so it's yeah, it's great to see that there are so many more women now coming into the festival. Yeah, and because it's a lottery, the fact that that means that there are more women applying as well, which I think is just great. And I I want to see more of that, um, just because it's it's something that you know I I believe in strongly. Um, it it gets kind of lonely as a touring performer being on the road so much, and it's 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 great to be able to find your community and, and for me, like finding these other strong female role models has always been incredibly helpful. And I know I'm realizing now I'm at the point where I'm becoming that person for, for people as well. Uh, Cause I'm getting old. Uh, and I've been you're, get, doing, you're getting experience, getting right? experienced. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so I think it's, it's great that we have that. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I guess a couple of things that, that uh, I've been noticing have been sort of different themes and shows, like several shows, including yours this year, were about funerals, either working in a funeral home or coming from a funeral. So we had Everybody Dies in December and Gary, which starts out with a funeral and mm-hmm. sort of morphs into a, to a threesome and a few other things happen as well. As, as they do. As they do. I mean, come on, we were just waiting for that to happen, right? Everyone yeah. was waiting for yeah. that to happen. <laughs> I, they probably did that show just so that could happen. I, yeah. I think so. And I, I want to see this film now because apparently there was a short film they made first of all. Yes, I've seen it. Trois, is it? Yeah. yeah. Yes. Okay, you've seen it. Yeah. Right. Is it very different from the production? Um, sort of, yeah. Yeah, okay. I, I, think, I think it is. Um, I mean, I saw it quite some time ago, um, but uh, but yeah, if you, I'm sure if you talk to Corey, uh, he's, he's got been, a copy. Somewhere. He's got a copy somewhere. Yeah. It's it's played at quite a few festivals oh, too, great. so short film festivals. It'd yeah. be fun to do a comparison between like their theater show and the film version mm-hmm. as well. 
And then ride shares and rope swings also had a funeral element to it. Yeah, I saw that. Uh, I saw that yesterday, actually, on the, on Sunday, and I, I really enjoyed it. But yeah, there was uh, there was also death and and graves and and mm-hmm. stuff happening there. Um, there was also a funeral show that was canceled. Another, I think oh. it was a solo show too, a solo female performer, and uh, I think it was called Funeral Tomfoolery. Um, and uh, for, for purely selfish reasons, part of me is kind of glad it didn't come. So, so it wasn't like I'm going to go so see like, the funeral but I'm, show. I'm the funeral show. I'm the funeral yeah. show. <laughs> yeah, you got to own that. Yeah, right? it'd like, be like <laughs> someone showing up with a roller derby show, and I'd be like, but, 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 but I'm the roller derby show. <laughs> Not like I own the concept. No, no. But when thing, like but, Fringe is a lot about buzz and about selling you know, the, the, the gimmick in what you're offering. Yeah. Like you start with the gimmick and then you end up with the quality, right? Yeah. So it's, it's it's how you get people in. It's like, yeah, I'm the funeral show or I'm the roller derby show. That's yeah. kind of how it goes. And it's, a, it's really interesting. It's really interesting, again, because it's a lottery and you never know what you're going to get. It's really interesting to see themes emerge. Uh, I remember one year in Edmonton, there were three shows that were spin-offs or spoofs of the Hardy Boys really? and Nancy Drew. I know. It was it was really it was like, what? Why did everyone suddenly decide to do that? Or in Orlando, I was just there and there were two shows uh around the themes of Peter Pan. Did we just have like some Jungian collective unconscious going on? I like, think so. It, it must be. Um there's there's something happening. Like I think we're all more connected than we'd like to believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's kind of that's kind of beautiful, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then what else do we have? Um, we like a, no- a number of shows looked at life changing illnesses. Mm-hmm. So we had lovely lady lumps about um, experience with breast cancer. Yeah. Uh, blindside about having um, cancer as a child and losing an eye. Mm-hmm. Retinoblastoma. Um, and that's thank you. Yes, sorry. <laughs> and uh, and then and then cardinal that. Um, beautiful clown show which a, a wordless clown show about um the experience of alzheimer's which um funny story about that one i had no idea that's what it was about going in yeah it's funny right i actually I, I had forgotten myself for the first five or ten minutes and then i remembered oh that's right it's alzheimer's and then i think a lot more of it made sense to me yeah it made more sense to me after because when i saw it i had no idea that's what it was about mm-hmm. i hadn't read the program mm-hmm. i hadn't I, I'll usually go into shows blind. Yeah. Uh, and I went because I knew the two performers, Madeline and Mitchell, and I really wanted to see their work. And I saw it and I was like, well, this is lovely. Uh, and then a couple days later, I found out it was about Alzheimer's and it was like my mind was blown. And I was like, oh, this makes so much more sense now. Um, it's, it was a beautiful show on its yeah. own. But once I knew that it just took on it this whole, other, yeah, whole other dimension... Yeah, and I, it's interesting how, like, I, you know, it's it could be about Alzheimer's, but I feel like it could be about any illness that's mm-hmm. degenerating and sort of takes over your mind and your body. So I think it could sort of, you know, morph in some ways to, that, that it, it doesn't have to be about one thing. I think yeah. people can relate to it on different levels and based on their experience. So it's kind of great. And then um, one that I, I thought was, was pretty hilarious. Um, no, you know what? It wasn't even me who thought this up. I think it was... Gosh, who was I sitting with? Oh, it was Elise Gautier. That's right, because we saw both these shows. So Angels and Aliens and Magic Unicorn Island, both... Both amazing are, titles, first of all. Totally, <laughs> but they're both about, like, the failure of the human race and sort of, you know, how pretty much things are going downhill and they have been for, for millennia, so <laughs> it was... And doing it both in very different ways, but yes. very 
insightful and entertaining ways. And actually, um, my favorite kind of theater, basically, because they find a way to take a subject matter that is highly um, politicized nowadays uh, and make it funny and entertaining. And memorable. And memorable to the point where, for me, I love it when when my, my theater is kind of insidious in a way, meaning that there's a big message that you might not realize is slowly seeping into your consciousness. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's that's what those shows It doesn't were. hit you over the head. It kind of creeps up on you. Yeah, and they entertain you, so you don't realize that you're learning something. Those <laughs> tricky artists. Oh, my God. Yeah. Well, let's talk about a few more shows that we saw that, that deserve a bit of a mention. So uh, you got to see Grade 8. Oh, I love which, Grade 8. Which won Best in Venue at Oddbox. And um, I got to write a review of it for The Fully Fringed, and it has Dwayne Morgan, who is a phenomenal spoken word poet who... I've known and admired for many years, but what was what was your impression of the show? Um, I had a very special special experience at this show. So I I saw this show with Mihal, uh, who is a new father. Um, so the two of us were sitting in the back watching this show about fathers and daughters, and I I grew up with an absentee father, so both of us are are reacting to the show in our own little bubble. Um, throughout the show and when the lights come up at the end we just kind of turned and looked at each other and you could just feel all the emotion that we had and we just looked at each other and went that was a really great show and just started sobbing and hugging each other um and it was such a powerful beautiful experience uh just a delicious story that just made you feel all kinds of feelings and also expressed a lot of things. What surprised me is it expressed a lot of things about womanhood that I have had trouble expressing Mm -hmm. and to see it come from, uh, you know, uh, an adult male, an adult male perspective, um, blew my mind in some ways, the sensitivity he had around the subject. Um, and also just, the love that he put out there uh, it was just incredible, just absolutely incredible. And it was one of those moments where I'm like, now Michal and I, we're, we're kind of connected forever because we saw that show together. Yeah. And I think that is such a powerful, incredible thing that theater can do. Wow. Thank you for sharing that because that's, that's such a unique experience to have. Mm-hmm. And it's so great that the show could, could bring that moment out of both of you. Yeah. I love that. Um, yeah, so Dwayne does does tour quite a lot, and uh, he's based in Toronto, but uh, you know, go check out his spoken word, and he runs this uh, series uh, called When Brothers Speak and When Sisters Speak, and he just showcases like the best um, poets of color from across the country, mm. so seriously check him out. Um, we both also saw Angels and Aliens. Funniest thing I saw at the frame. Oh my gosh, I saw it so on, the, funny. on like, the, the second... like. Uh, last day on Saturday and it was exactly what I wanted to see it was just put me in a wonderful mood and I felt I felt like I'd been given you know a history of the of the world which Mm -hmm. is kind of great like I didn't expect that but it was done in a way that felt completely accessible and wonderful and critical and uh and really made us like question is there anything we can do to improve us I mean anyway but let's okay let's start with the basics yes the show is about these uh two roommates guy and a girl 
and they have uh, slept together the night before. It didn't go so well. It was pretty awkward. So the next morning they're having breakfast, kind of not knowing what to say to each other. But they both, but neither of them have work that day. So they're just kind of like... Stuck at home together. Yep. And so one of them decides to uh, to bring out this, this new uh, game app that has been downloaded to his phone. And they, it's called iBang. And it's, it's sort of re- the reference to the Big Bang, like the creation of the world. And so um, they take on the personas of uh, both angels and aliens. And angels, I think, represent sort of like religion and spirituality and that kind of thing, whereas the aliens represent progress, so the building of the pyramids and all that kind Evolution. of thing. Exactly. Yeah. So you kind of see both of them just like trying to get things done and fighting over stuff. And I found it tremendously funny where like the first thing was... Um, oh, what is it, your, like, your people have already started to become, like, selfish and revolt and all this kind of stuff. Do you want to start over again or smite them and fill them with shame? Like, those are the only two options. Yes. So it's either, like, start over and you'll probably have the same result or, like, make them feel shame and sort of do the whole Adam and Eve in the the garden thing. Wow, I didn't even think of it that way. When you think of it as those are your two only choices, it's kind of depressing for humanity. It's really depressing. (laughs) But it was so funny. The show was so funny. Yeah, they have great chemistry. They're just... Jeff Laird, Sidney Haydock are like unbelievable performers. I think incredibly underrated performers. Like, I don't understand why they're... Like, everyone should know who these two are because they're just physicality and voice work and comedy. And it's just so great what they do. And putting the two of them together uh, in this, like, sexy, hilarious package is is probably, like, the best thing you could do for yourself is to go see the show. They're going to Toronto with it, so I hope, I oh, hope good. Yes. Toronto people go and see it. But there's still, like, there's lines from that show that are so insightful that I just keep running through my head. Like, at one point, one of the angels just yells out, um... Why would we care what they put in their butts? I mean, their eyes, yes, that makes sense, but their butts? And they're like running through the Bible being like, oh my gosh, there's so much in here. How do you follow all these rules? And And they they mention things like how the Bible and the Quran actually have very similar premises and basis and like why... Pretty much every religious text has the same basic ideas about like love and compassion and being kind to your neighbor and it's just the picky little things that we fight over and yeah. Yeah, yeah. or just what are the white ones doing when they're yelling <laughs> at the humans? Or like why do, why do the white people think they're better than everyone else? Like yeah. we did, we never said that. <laughs> yeah, it was just yeah. it's so lovely and there's some some great um voiceovers that happen throughout that um I highly recommend uh, you go see the show. Go a little bit early because their pre-show has a lot of just hilarious universe building information. Uh, yeah, just great, 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 all around. Go see that. And then I think I also want to just skip over to Magic Unicorn Island because sort of along similar themes, we get to see God, mm-hmm. uh, you know, played by uh, Jason McDonald. Jason McDonald is a solo show. He does all the roles. Um, and uh, and God just seems so disappointed. And like, hey, guys, I never said that. Like, stop using my name to, to, to start your wars. And it's just not worth it. So Magic Unicorn Island one best overall production of well the deserved well deserved yeah. i think i think pretty much everyone agrees that this was a superbly strong show um jason has done great work in the past he has come to the ottawa fringe several times 
Um, and, and this one, so this was, this was a phenomenal show. So it, I didn't know anything about what it was about. And I'm kind of glad because it, the little things kind of sneak up on you as you mm. keep watching it. So the first part of the show is, is, um, Jason acting out the creation of the world. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, it's God who's kind of like stretching out the sun, bringing light. So he actually has a spotlight on him that he makes bigger. Well, mm-hmm. that's what it seems like anyway. So like yeah. little lighting tricks going on. And then he goes through the process of like, you know, creating the earth and creating planets. And it's a lot of like physical theater type comedy. It's, it's very cute. Um, so that goes on for like, what, the first 10 minutes or so? Maybe five. Oh, not, yeah. 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 Maybe, maybe it felt longer to me, whatever. And, uh, and then it sort of goes into, um, you know, the evolution of the people and starting a fire and that kind of thing. And then, and then the, it, 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 get, it sort of starts rolling when he, um, he plays this kid in, uh, high school, maybe like 13, 14. Yeah, Shane Rivera. Uh, Shane Rivera. Mm-hmm. And he's doing a presentation and he decides like he can't choose just like one historical event. So he's going to give like a history of everything. And he talks about all the different wars that have happened. And he goes on forever and the teacher kind of wants to shut him up because he's gone way over his time limit. And he's like, okay, let's get to the end. And basically his thesis is that we keep having these wars. We keep making the same mistakes over and over again because the the current generation keeps following the mistakes of the previous generation. So his solution is that the the children of today need to go off and do their own thing so that this doesn't happen again and, and to create like a new generation of peace and love and friendship and to, you know, to hold hands instead of holding guns, mm-hmm. things like that. Just like some really basic peaceful rhetoric. And why wouldn't you call this place Magic Unicorn Island? Like, exactly. It's like the perfect title. For yeah, it. and so everything's like a really like even um, like sort of collective democracy and they all make decisions together mm-hmm. and he's kind of I guess like the leader of the group and sort of like De facto. Yeah. Exactly. Like, and he sort of like asks the big kids to look after the little kids and he's some, so it's, it's you know, they, they he acknowledges in the show that it's uh, a certain extent like suspension of disbelief, the fact that he managed to get all the children in what the United States to go off to the some world. Island. I think it was the, it was the whole world. It was the wow. whole world, yeah. Yeah. Um, it, this is actually, I've seen almost all of Jason McDonald's shows, and this is by far my favorite one. Uh, and that's saying a lot because Jason is, watching his work is one of the reasons I became a solo performer. So the fact that I, I feel so such a great connection to this show. Um, I, I think it's just perfect storytelling. It's, it's such a beautiful way to express a story. Um, it has an incredible message to it that's basically, guys, wake up. Mm-hmm. Look mm-hmm. at what we're doing right now. We're hurting the children. Yeah. Um, and, and it's done in such a way, it's so skillful um, the way he portrays every character, the technical elements, like some of the ones you brought up, like the one with the hand gets me every time. I, like, I, I can't really describe it because it, it, I don't want to spoil too much in case you ever get the chance, you who is listening ever gets the chance to see this. Um, but this was the second time I saw the show and I would go and see it again and again. Yeah, I wanted to, but it kept selling out mm. at near the end, so... I may just have to be patient and see when it happens next, but mm-hmm. I'm, I'm just, I feel very grateful to have seen it Yeah, and, that I, and, the, and that I, and that I was able to bring a friend to experience it with me and that we had this wonderful discussion afterwards about it. It's one of those shows where I feel it's, it's art that can 
heal people and help people. Mm. That's what Magic Unicorn Island is. Yeah, yeah. So inspiring. Um, and there were a couple more shows we wanted to mention. Yeah. So you saw Norman Bisbee Goes to War. That's yeah. by local artist Kevin Reed, who both uh, wrote and performed in the play. That's right. And I'm so pleased. I got. It's actually funny we go from Jason McDonald to Kevin Reed because you can see the influences of Jason McDonald in Kevin's work. You can definitely see Kevin was inspired by that. Um, I'm, I was so impressed and proud with the show, knowing where Kevin comes from. Mm-hmm. I mean, he started out as just a guy who loves fringe and loves theater and started writing about it and then realized that he actually wanted to do it and to risk. And cause this is hard what we do. It's really hard. And, and to just like stop everything and to risk and to decide to do it and not only do it, but to do a solo show. That's really putting yourself out there. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. And what I was super impressed with was this was a multi-character solo show. Um, That's what really impressed me because I don't even do that. You know, like that's hard. Um, I have more than one character in Roller Derby Save My Soul and I've given those characters very little to do so that I don't have to (laughs) um, embody another character because it's hard. Um, and, and he did it in a way that like I, that I, professional actors have trouble doing. And, and so like, I want to say, you know, like Kevin is a professional now. Like, I think he's earned his stripes with, with this show. Um, I hope he keeps working on it. Um, it's a very simple story. It it does still need some, some tightening up, mm-hmm. um, and and I'm really interested. I hope he keeps working at it, or or I look forward at the very least to see what he comes up with next. Yeah, fantastic. Can yeah. you tell us a little bit about the show? Like oh what yeah, it's about yeah. Um, basically, it's about this veteran named Norman Norman Bisbee, and it flashes between the past and the present. So there's an elderly Norman um, who has this locket that belonged to his beloved, who is now passed away. And it gets stolen, and throughout the he tries to get it back, and throughout this it flashes back to his time during the war and kind of the moments and the friends that help shape him and be who he is today, and uh, and yeah, so you meet you meet his best friend during the war, you meet the guy who steals the locket, you meet the prostitute with a heart of gold who who helps him out along the way. Um, all of them played by Kevin. Um, and there's some, yeah, it was just really lovely, a lovely narrative. It's a very simple story. Uh, one that it felt very cinematic, mm-hmm. actually. It felt like a movie, uh, on stage. Um, and yeah, it just, it just made, made my heart happy to watch. That's fantastic. Yeah. Um, I just want to, uh, mention one more show. Um, as I, as I said earlier, um, TWA, the Third Wall Academy, is holding auditions looking for uh, more um, young people to join and, and create theater together. And uh, this season's group put together a show called Fuji, uh, written by Abby Morgan, uh, directed by James Richardson, and also uh, worked on with, in collaboration with Christina Watt. And this had a cast of, of nine people between the ages of, I believe, 15 and 20. And it was a show about refugees and about uh, ch- child refugees who come to the country and how they are treated. 
And the, the main crux of the story is that there is a young man who is only uh, 14 years old, but because he doesn't have the proper documentation, the people he's speaking to try and make it seem as though he's an adult because he has a bit of facial hair and, you know, he, he looks a bit older than he is. And so, um, and it works to their advantage because if he's over 18, they don't have to take care of him. Mm-hmm. They don't have to look after him as a child. They can send him off to be an adult in the world. And so he has to like fend for himself. Um, and so he stays in this child hostel for a while and makes all these friends. And then partway through, he gets pushed out and uh, becomes very resentful. And it's, um, it's, it's another one of those stories that, that I think serves as a warning that we need to pay attention to how we treat people who come to this country and, um, and, and why we have, and, and these loopholes that people seem to take advantage of. Um, so it was, it was quite upsetting actually, uh, but also this beautiful story about like friendship and love and understanding and, and, and connection despite a lack of, um, a lack of similar language. And, uh, the, the person playing, um, the main character is Kojo and he, his, uh, the actor's name is Patrick Bugby, and I also want to give a shout out to this lovely woman named Helen Tai, who plays Ara, who is sort of his best friend and also falls in love with him. And I thought she is a phenomenal actor. She is like super charismatic on stage. Has beautiful facial expressions. I was really enthralled by her performance. I mean, the whole team is very strong. Um, all the actors involved, I thought, worked really well together. Um, but I, I did think that she stood out as a performer and I would love to see more of her work as she, as she, uh, continues on in her, um, in her career. Um, um, well, I guess one thing I want to say is that I didn't, I didn't love the style of the play, which is uh, a very self-referential. I mean, the, each of the, the characters comes out and says, oh, I am this person. I have this cultural background and the actor playing me does not. And they're just playing me. So it was very much about like acknowledging that, you know, there are characters and there are actors and they kind of do a lot of like flashback kind of sequences. So I guess I, like that genre doesn't personally work for me, but I really appreciated the ideas and the content that were coming sort of behind it. Sounds, it sounds kind of Brechtian in a way. Yeah, like it was kind of Brechtian, yeah. We're aware yeah. that we are performers putting yes. on a, a story for you. It yeah. was very much that. I think I just, I found it a bit off-putting because I would have perhaps preferred just to see the story unfold, which was, which was interesting unto itself. Um, but I mean, that might've been like my, my personal, you know, thought there, but I, again, I would love to see more of these, uh, these actors in action. And I look forward to seeing what TWA comes up with next year, because, um, in addition to putting on a darn good show, it was great to see, um, such a culturally diverse cast, which we rarely see in Ottawa. So mm-hmm. I think that's really wonderful that, um, you know, Christina and James are, you know, meeting with these students and and putting forth such great work with so such you know diverse casting, so good on them. Yeah. Um, so I also wanted to talk to you, Nancy, about um, not just your experience at the Ottawa Fringe, but what else you've been doing this year. Because I know that you had to you know leave partway through to run off to um, to the, to uh, to BC. Mm-hmm. So could you tell us a bit about what happened there? Yeah. Um, I uh, I got accepted into a festival called Outstages, which is run by the Victoria Fringe Festival, but it's their queer arts festival in Victoria. And they wanted me to come and do Roller Derby Save My Soul. So midway through the Fringe, um, the Fringe was able to front load my schedule. Um, so, so everybody so all dies. Your performances were in the first half. Of in the, the first half, festival? yeah. So I did Everybody Dies in December um, for six continuous days, and the very next morning I hopped on a plane uh, 
and uh, and flew to Victoria and teched my show and opened a show and uh, did two performances and a cabaret piece and then flew back just in time for closing of Ottawa Fringe. You were such a rock star. That's kind of amazing. <laughs> um, and, and these two shows are quite different, right? How was it switching from, you know, a show about funerals to a show about roller derby? It was hard. It was actually really hard. I didn't... I didn't realize how difficult it was. When I started doing fringes, one of the things that always inspired me was looking at people like Jason McDonald, like Martin Dockery, like all these touring performers who have a stable of shows mm -hmm. that they can do at what seems like the drop of a hat. You know, um, they go from city to city. Sometimes they might do more than one show in a city. And I've always been impressed by that and wanted to have that, to have kind of this library of performance pieces that I have that I could put on at any given moment. Um, and then I actually got to do it and I realized how hard it was because, I mean, combined with the jet lag, combined with the two very thematically and physically different shows, um, Everybody Dies is, is very static and it's more storytelling, uh, whereas Roller Derby is very much more physical theater, um, like I have to physically train to do the roller derby show because it's very demanding on yeah. my, bro and for my that, body. For that show, you actually did you, like you trained as a roller derby. Yeah, as a yeah, player. As a player. Um, and and I and the more I've done it, like the better my skating has gotten. So like, there's more tricks and stuff in the show, which means I've got to, you know, I've got to be prepared to jump, and I've got to be prepared to do the splits, and I've got to be, you know, and it's it's a it's it's a lot um, and it's so different. And so I did, I did find it hard. And I actually called a couple fringe performers when I was in BC to ask them how they did it. And, and what a lot of them told me was just practice. Like your, you, your brain starts getting used to having all this information. Um, so yeah, it was difficult. It was rewarding. Um, and, and fun to do, but it's kind of, it kind of feels like going to the gym for the very first time where your body's just like, Oh my God. Ah, it's been a while. It's been a while. <laughs> I don't know if I, why am I doing this? And, and you kind of want to stop, but you know, you got to just push through that feeling. Mm -hmm. But it was a, it was a lovely time. Uh, I love BC. It's beautiful out there. It was a lot colder than it was here, but it was, it was a really lovely time. So you did, like, change your wardrobe also? You need to, yeah, I yeah. did. I did, yes. <laughs> so what are your plans with these two shows now? Do you have um, other places you're hoping to take them, or is that still in the works? Um, well, for Everybody Dies, I'm going to the Winnipeg and Edmonton Fringes after, after this. Uh, Roller Derby is on a bit of a hiatus now. I do have some performances booked for 2017 in uh, New Brunswick. So I'm very excited because it's my, my home province. I'm looking forward to going there. Um, tickets are already on sale and my family's been messaging me about how they're, they're all buying tickets and they've already bought their tickets and it's, it's adorable. I love it. Um, but I realized after, after Victoria, my next performance of roller derby is my hundredth Wow, congratulations. Yeah, thank you. So I don't know. I'm going to want to do something pretty special for, for that one. Mm -hmm. uh, 100 seems like a... You could like learn, in, learn one more new trick, maybe. Yeah, yeah. learn one more new trick. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I want, I want whatever performance that is to be, to be a special one. So we'll yeah. see. For now, yeah. for now, it's on a bit of a hiatus because my, my creative drive right now is in, is in Everybody Dies. Like I, 
uh, in polishing and and not even polishing that's the wrong word but um just diving deeper into mm-hmm. that show and yeah, like there's things that you want to do with mm-hmm. that show like there's a, a lot of things yeah. yeah there's a lot of things I want to change and um you know just getting that practice to do it in front of people you really learn what works and what doesn't work Mm -hmm. and and I've had some wonderful wonderful feedback throughout this festival too which has been great and so there's a lot I want to I want to take some time now hopefully before Winnipeg to make some some substantial changes to the show good stuff cool that's really wonderful and I know you're, one of your other projects right now is working on this documentary, which I which I, I can't wait to see. I find it so fascinating, and like I actually remember other people talking about doing fringe documentaries years ago. It's one of those things that kind of like peters out; they never actually get around to doing it. But you've actually like committed to it, and you I, have committed. A whole I committed. I committed. It's yep. great. So the documentary is called On the Fringe, and please tell us about how this came about and how you put your team together and like what has become the focus of this documentary? Like, does it have a sort of a through line that you can discuss or? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, this happened in 2014. Uh, So basically I won the CAF lottery, which is the Canadian Association of Fringe Festivals. And that's the nationwide lottery. So basically if you get this, you're in every single festival that you've applied to. And um, I applied to all of them thinking I wasn't going to get this lottery. And then I did. Um, so that was very exciting. And a friend said, you know, people have always talked about how there should be a fringe documentary since you're going across the country now would be a great time to do it. And I just went, okay. Uh, having never produced a film before, having no experience whatsoever in this field. Um, but he connected me with, um, Natalie Watson, who's my producing partner on this. And she's also the 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 cinematographer and the editor for the film and uh we clicked instantly um and I knew this was someone because I think the most important thing if you're doing a project of this size where you have to be on the road with someone for four months you got to make sure you get along with them and and that was that was a really big thing I actually knew I wanted to work with her before I'd actually seen samples of her work which turned out to be great so that was that was very lucky and uh and then uh, initially I had someone on board to direct the documentary and it, it fell through. And I, I thought of uh, Corey uh, Tibbert, who is with Maycan Theatre, and I knew he was a filmmaker and he was going to be on tour that summer in a couple cities uh, with one of their shows. So I talked to him about it and it was, again, it was one of those things where like we clicked and I knew I wanted to work with this guy and then I saw his work and knew that it was it was good work. So I was, I was pretty pleased about that. So it was just the three of us. The three of us in a car, driving across the country, going from city to city, um, filming and following um, what I call four groups. So basically the story follows. There's myself as one of the artists that's being followed. Gem Rolls um, is another one. Uh, Martin Dockery and Vanessa Canal. Uh, and then four uh, rookies from Saskatoon, who was their first year touring. Um, and so the the story basically goes from east to west and follows these four diverse groups and what it's like. It's basically what what's what's it like for a touring artist on the road and and how how do you deal with success? How do you deal with your failures? Um, and 
I finally got to see a full version. I would say perhaps a first cut of it um, just a couple weeks ago. And I'm incredibly excited um, by the results. It's, it's beautiful. I cannot believe how much we got done with just three people working on this project. Like this is, this is quality work. This is a film that I would see on Netflix. This is a film that I would see screened at film festivals, which is all things we're hoping to do with this film. That's fantastic. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm really impressed. There's still a lot of work to be done. We are doing some more screenings, um, throughout the summer at various fringe festivals. Um, my main goal now moving forward is going to be uh, getting us into like big film festivals like Hot Docs or Docs on Vancouver. Um, and then after that, also look for distribution because I think, I think it's what we do, these festivals, they're important and people need to know about it. And it's also just a beautiful uh, snapshot of what life is like on the fringe. Yeah, I think it's one of those things that, that Canada needs to be really proud of. Like, mm -hmm. what an amazing thing we have, this, this, this Canadian fringe circuit where performers from all around the world just come here in the summer and go from city to city to city and get to experience our country in that way. I think mm -hmm. that's one of those things that we should be, we should be boasting about all the time. So I think it's yeah. wonderful that you're putting this out there. Um, and when can people in Ottawa expect to see it? Well, I'm in talks right now with the Ottawa Fringe Festival to host a screening. So they want to do a special screening as part of their 20th anniversary events. Um, so you can expect something in the winter. We don't have any any dates set yet. Okay, and can we, can we sort of follow you online? Yeah, uh, there's a website for the documentary. It's onthefringedoc.com. Uh, uh, but you can also follow me on Twitter at nancykenny.com. Uh, I, I often post post stuff there. Right, and we'll, we'll put all those links in the body of our podcast as well. So that's amazing. Thank you so much, Nancy. And uh, for those of you who uh, saw The Fringe, thank you for being there and for supporting great local theater. And and uh, thanks to thanks to Pat Gauthier and everyone who works at The Fringe for oh, putting absolutely. on such a great festival. Yeah, I, I do feel like like as you were saying last night, the awards that they have like the strongest team working on this festival. Mm -hmm. And it's true. Some of the best people in Ottawa theater are putting this together. And, you know, I, I think they did a phenomenal job. Yeah. So I'm, I'm just so thrilled to have been there and been a part of it. Um, so stay tuned. We have a couple of previews to talk about. And uh, yeah, we'll be right back. Even though the Ottawa Fringe is over, we still have a few things to look forward to in the coming weeks. Bear & Co. roars back into Ottawa Parks this summer from July 2nd to the 30th with songs and swords and skullduggery, sorcery and fire witches in Macbeth. Directed by Eleanor Crowder, music direction by Rachel Euster. Featuring Chris McLeod and Doreen Taylor Claxton with Daniel Claxton, Rachel Euster, Zoe Jagaris, Alexis Scott and Sarah Weisfitz. And that's all for this week. Thank you so much for listening and feel free to follow us on Facebook and Twitter and stay tuned for next Monday. Thank you so much, Nancy Kenny, for being here and have an amazing summer on the fringe. Thank you, Jess. <laughs>